how's everyone doing? I like to start that way because comedians start that way. And I like to think of myself as a pretty funny guy. Now, you may not agree, but that doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to laugh at myself, okay? Um, that's just how it is. Um, but no, no, I, I'm just kidding. I mainly, I mainly like to start like that because I just like to... Oh, thank you. That's awesome. I appreciate you. I like to... We all just chill. We're all just together at church, you know, and um, uh, we can kind of relax. And, you know, sometimes um, church is very, it's, it's kind of like high maintenance, high stress. You know, you ha- who's ever been in the experience where you're in the car, you're on the way to church, and literally everyone is screaming, yeah, like bloody murder. And then you pull into the parking lot and you go, okay, church face is on. Let's go in. And everyone's like, okay, and they go, they walk in, and then there's that one kid that just can't quite control their, themselves, and they're like, they, they look like this. And, they, you know, they, they can't, they, can't, they haven't quite learned to put the fake smile on yet, right? And so that's, that's church sometimes, and, you know, I get why we do that. There's like a social, um, like, code-switching thing that we need to do around other people, and that's okay, but... You know, we can also kind of be ourselves and be honest in, in, in church together, I think, and that's all right. Um, but anyways, let's pray really quick. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for this time together. I pray that you, your spirit would just come, Lord. Your spirit would work in us. Help us to be humble and listen to your word and try to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, kids are wise. Children are wise, Okay. Um, that, I'm going to start with that phrase, and I think that's kind of funny because, you know, well, you'll see. But kids are wise, and they're fun to watch, and, and it's fun to see the, what wisdom looks like in the mind of a child, right? And I, I have a special window into that reality because I still have the mind of a child. And so I, I you know, I still kind of, I think I have the wisdom of a child. And let me just give you some examples um, to let you know what I mean when I'm talking about the wisdom of a child. Um, so my brother and I, we got um, some glow-in-the-dark slime for Christmas. When I'd say, you know, we were probably around five and three. Chapman, you, some of you met Chapman. Um, and we, it was awesome. And, you know, sli- for, for a kid, slime is like pure gold, you know? Like that is a treasure to behold. And you get the slime. And, and not only was this slime, but it was green, it was shimmery, and it glowed in the dark. That is cool. Hopefully it wasn't radioactive. I know in our history we've actually had some glow-in-the-dark like watches and things that were radioactive and caused a lot of problems for people. But I don't think this was. But it did glow in the dark, and it was really, really cool. Okay? Anyways. So we were playing with it, and we dropped it on the carpeted floor. And um, so in the wisdom of a child, what do you do? What do you do when you drop your glow slime on the carpeted floor? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You sit in it. That's what you do. You sit in it, and it feels weird and funny and cool and awesome. And then when you're done, your butt glows, right, because it's glow-in-the-dark slime. And literally for years, our Batman PJs had like a glow-in-the-dark spot on, on the bum, and it's awesome. That's the wisdom of a child right there, okay? Or I know of a young lady uh, who was grounded, sent to her room. And uh, she was told, you know, don't leave your room. So she was freaking out, but she had to go to the bathroom, but she wasn't supposed to leave her room. So she snuck out, went to the bathroom, 
proceeded to clog the toilet. Um, clog the toilet. Yeah, very funny. And then uh, she went back. She ran back and snuck into her room. And when her parents came and asked about it, she said, "Oh, my brother did it. My brother did it." And they believe. And he got in trouble for clogging the toilet. But when really it was her. I know of another uh, little girl who um, was playing hot potato with a real potato. And when her friends left, she decided to hide the potato in her closet and leave it there until it started to stink. So with the wisdom of a child, what do you do when the potato stinks? You spray it with hairspray so it stops. You cover it, right? You cover it with hairspray and it stops uh, and the same little girl, uh, you figured out that when she was mad at her brother, she could bite herself and then tell her parents that her brother did it. That is the wisdom. That is ingenious right there. And I'll tell you, it's Jillian. It's my wife. It's Jillian. She was devious, right? And, and wise by the standards of a child, right? I heard another story about a little boy who had an accident. Now, if any of you are squeamish, leave the room, okay? Um, had an accident. It was number two. And what do you do when you're in a play tent um, and, or you're in your room or wherever you're at and uh, you have an accident and you just have a little creative mind? You're just really creative. What do you do? What's the solution? Well, in the wisdom of a child, you finger paint. You finger paint on the walls. You finger paint on the everything, the lampshade, the, the everywhere, right? That is the wisdom of a child, right? That, that's the wisdom of a child. And here's the thing. Kids believe they know the right thing to do in these crazy situations, uh, and they end up making a mess, right? They make messes. And the truth is, here's the thing. Paul, the apostle Paul, dealt with some kids that were a lot, like this, some children who were a lot like this in uh, Corinth, the Corinthians, right? He dealt with some, he calls them children. Um, but before I get too hard on the Corinthians, I want, to un I want us to understand something. And I should say, we are not so different from the Corinthians. We are not so different from the kid who has an idea to finger paint with <laughs> excrement and makes a mess. We make messes all the time. All the time. We believe we are wise because we know what to do. We know what to do, right? We have the answers. We have the power. We have the knowledge. We have the prestige or the status or the wealth or the right. I have the right, we say. We think we're wise. And we act as if um, these things make us wise, but we end up making a mess. We end up making a mess, a mess of relationships, a mess of family, a mess of our church, a mess of our lives, our choices, everything. We end up making a mess. So there's a problem. There's a problem with the things that we often call wisdom. There's a problem with the things that we often think are right. There's a problem with our explanations of the world and our explanation. There's an issue. We're fallen, we're broken, and we make a mess. Lord Jesus, please help us, God, to hear your spirit. Lord, help us to understand, Lord, that you have a better way, that you have true wisdom for us. And Lord, help us to hear that today. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So we are going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 um, in three sections. All right? We're going to look at it in three sections. The first section is um, foolishness to the wise, the cross. The second section is foolishness to the wise, the believers. And the third section is foolishness to the wise, Paul's preaching. And, and on the screen, I have the, the references for you there if you want to, you know, if you like to highlight or whatever you like to do. But these are the three sections that we're, that we're looking at. Uh, and the, this passage is found right at the beginning of Paul's main argument um, that continues throughout the letter. And here's what he does. Here's what he does. He urges the Corinthian believers to be unified in Christ, to be together in Christ, to be one in Christ. You see, for the Corinthians, there were factions. There was division, division and factions that had been created by different leaders, right? There was disunity uh, created by unholiness, specifically sexual immorality. There was conflict over meat sacrifice to idols, theological concerns, right? There was discord um, at the Lord's Supper because of social class, right? There was conflict in their gatherings because of disorderly and selfish conduct. And there was disunity regarding the beliefs about future hope. And in the middle of all of this and more, Paul um, desperately urges the believers to stand together, to stand on the firm foundation that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of competing ideas, in the midst of different leaders, in the midst of, of, of conflict and, and, and everything, Paul encourages unity. And he does this in the passage that we're looking at. He does this by addressing the Corinthians' ideas about wisdom. Now, the Corinth was a, a mostly um, Greco-Roman, mostly Gentile um, city. It was a port city, and there was a lot of ideas. There was a, a rich history of philosophy. And so they really, really cared about wisdom, right? They cared about knowledge. They cared about these things even more than, than other ancient cities. And so Paul, he kind of, he confronts their ideas about what wisdom truly is. Some were saying, um, you know, this leader is wise, or that leader is wise. This leader is very articulate and, and eloquent, and, or that leader is very articulate and eloquent, and they favored one over the other. And, and Paul talks about this in the passage right before the one we're about to read and look at. But Paul is saying, hey, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You're, you're, you're not having unity. You're being separated and, and, and disconnected from one another because of these different reasons, and I'm hearing about it, and it's not okay. It's not okay. And we're going to get to why, why that is. Um, but the, this is the first section, foolishness to the wise. This is foolishness to the wise, the cross. The cross. It says in, in, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 18, and we're going to be looking at verse 18 through chapter 2, verse uh, 5. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So in verse 18, Paul states the crux of this passage. It's the central um, piece to Paul's message and to this passage. Um, He also divides the world, he divides reality into two camps. Number one, those who are perishing in the present age, the present age of sin and death. And number two, those who are being saved, being saved, right? Continually being saved in the new age of restoration. And it had begun in Christ. So there's these two ages, these two camps, right? And he gets to the crux of this passage and, and, he's, and he says that he talks about the center of God's saving work. What is it? It's Jesus' death on the cross. The saving work of Jesus, it's foolishness to those who are not in God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. It's foolishness to those who are not in, who are not a part of God's people, who are not in God's kingdom. Those who are in the present age of, of death and destruction and evil, this message of the gospel, it's foolishness, Paul says. And then by quoting from Isaiah, Paul argues that God had always intended to destroy the wisdom of those who tried to reach God by their own wisdom and intelligence. Because the, the context of, of Isaiah in which Paul is quoting, it, God, or well, the, the prophet is talking about God, and he's talking about those who proclaim or profess to know God, but really their hearts are far from him. They try to reach God with their own wisdom, with their own intelligence, by their own means, and God is saying, I'll destroy it. I'll destroy it. And before we go too far with this sort of like separatist view, because it is, he separates us. He says, you know, if we're in Christ, we're in this new age. We're not a part of that old age, right? But we have to understand this in, in context because... In, particularly in the assemblies of God and in our faith tradition, we can take this too far and, and look only inwardly, okay? And that's what the passage is focused inwardly because it's talking about unity, right? But we have to look at the bit larger context because even in 1 Corinthians, it's clear that Paul sees the unity of the body as, as, you know, the purpose of it is for the world, is for those outside of the body, right? Paul even himself says, to the Jews, I become a Jew. To the Gentiles, I become Gentile, right? Like he's about the gospel going to all people, right? And so we're not, we're not trying to be separatists. We're not, trying to be, we're not trying to talk about like an us versus them mentality, which we often have, because that can be really uh, damaging to our mission, which is to reach the world. But we are saying that there are two separate camps. There are two separate ages. And when we are in Christ... This message of the gospel, which is foolishness to others, should be real and make sense to us, should be wisdom to us. But we shouldn't be like those who profess to know God, but try to reach him in our own wisdom, like Isaiah warns about, because God wants to destroy that, right? God, help us. It says in verse 20, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Again, notice, of this age. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So, um, orators and teachers and philosopher, the philosophers, these were often, although not always, they were often um, some of the most revered in society. And I would say definitely in Corinth, right? Because we talked about that, that um, context a second ago. They're very, very revered and upheld in society. And so he's saying, hey, listen up. Where are you? Where's your wisdom now, philosopher, teacher? Right? Where's your, your, where's your wisdom now? God has made it foolishness. It would be like saying, um, where are the celebrities, politicians, and sharks? Not the fish. Like Mark Cuban, you know what I mean? Or, or Mr. Wonderful. Um, those are the only two names I can remember from that show. Because Mr. Wonderful, like to, to be named that and look like that and act like that, it's just kind of ironic and funny, you know what I mean? And I just, I will never forget Mr. Wonderful. I don't know. Anyways, but like you very successful businessmen and women who have millions and millions, you know, billions of dollars or whatever, where's your wisdom now? Has God not made it foolishness with the cross? Has God not turned your ideas of success and power and wisdom? Has God not turned it on its head in becoming a man and living to die? bringing salvation, bringing his kingdom, bringing renewal by submission, by humility. Wait, 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 wait. Kings, kings, no, no, no. Kings get kingdoms and they get power by overthrowing people with force. We get power, we get kingdoms with, with guns, not death, not submission, not sacrifice. We, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me, Wisdom is, is, is laying your life down, not acquiring wealth. God turns it on its head. And all the wisdom, all the wealth, all the knowledge, all the prestige that the world has to offer is completely flipped on its head by the gospel, by the cross. God makes human wisdom foolishness. Paul goes on to argue that the cross is so scandalous. It's so scandalous to those from all walks of life, which notably to Paul, a Jewish person, person all walks of life can be represented by Jew, Jewish people and Gentiles, right? And that's what he talks about. Now, here's the, here's the thing, and this is a context that we can't forget, and I know Pastor Sid has talked about this, and I, we've talked about this before, but it is easy for us to miss how scandalous the cross is. It's been only, or almost 2,000 years of the cross as a symbol, a religious symbol, and we forget what it represented in Jesus' time and in Paul's time. It is the complete and utter representation of Roman authority and the Romans' ability to kill you in the worst way possible if you do not do what they want. It is the complete symbol of human wisdom. Human wisdom says, I have power of you, over you because I have better technology. I have power over you because I have more people. 
because I have more wealth, because I have more status, whatever it is, right? And, and so the cross is this, is this, this image of, of Roman authority, and, and God uses it and turns it over and uses it for his glory. But how scandalous is that? That God, God would go to the cross. See, to Jewish people, the Messiah was supposed to overthrow the Romans, not be killed by them. To Greeks and to, to Gentiles, a God? God doesn't submit. A God doesn't die on a cross. That's not, okay. God, God's not born in a manger. What are you talking about, right? It's foolishness. You see, an interesting problem that Paul highlights here, an interesting, interesting problem that we might not see right off the bat is idolatry. For the Jewish person, person who wanted, um, the, you know, they wanted a sign. And for the Gentile, they wanted wisdom. Give me a sign. Give me wisdom. Either one wanted God to fit in their preconceived ideas and notions about what God should act like. They said, hey, God, come fit in my mold. And in doing so, they construct their own image of a God. But that's not God. That's not our God. And so it's idolatry, right? It's idolatry. And we're in danger of doing the same thing. You see, Oftentimes, we try to make God conform to our own ideas of what God should be like. Well, God, you know, God is good all the time, and I didn't get a bunch of money last week. God is good all the time, so God should do this for me. God should do that for me. And we turn God into Santa Claus, and God's not Santa Claus, right? That's not, that's not how it works. It's idolatry. We're building an image of our own God instead of letting God be who he is. It says in verse 24, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God revealed himself. He revealed true wisdom in the person of Jesus. See, he, we who are chosen by God are able to see and live in this truth. We're able to see the truth that is foolishness to others. We're able to see what God did in the person of Jesus and what God reveals about himself in the person of Jesus. His graciousness, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his gentleness, his submission. We're able to see that for what it is. Yet, we are in the same danger that the Corinthians find themselves in. See, if in our arrogance we import the wisdom of the world to the gospel, we could end up like those whom Isaiah speaks about who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. We could end up like those who Paul speaks about, who create an idol instead of worship the true God. 
See, in our own wisdom, we do things like seek money. Money, things, status, right? Comfortable, comfortability, right? Like a comfortable lifestyle. In our own wisdom, we seek prestige or influence. I don't know how many leaders, people, leadership people I've heard, you need influence, right? You know, we say things like, if I just have enough faith, God will bless me. Translation, God, give me that building if I really wish hard enough. God, give me that house if I really, really wish hard enough. God, give me that car if I really, if I really, really wish hard enough. Or on and on and on. God, please be Santa Claus, right? See, with our own wisdom, we make Jesus out to be our cheerleader who always, you know, fights our battles, I, I not, this is just this is an interesting thing to me because if you listen to Christian radio, if you listen to contemporary Christian songs, there's a lot of lyrics that, that talk about fighting. You know, God, you fight my battles. And I want to be fair because I know that this comes from a truth that Jesus has had victory. He's had victory over death and sin and, 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 and brokenness. And we can share in that victory. But there's two sides to this coin because we need to remember... What is foolish to the wise? We need to remember that Jesus won that victory by going to the cross, and he's calling us to go with him. We're in danger of, of a genuine triumphalism in which we only talk about the resurrection and we forget the cross. It is, it's a balancing act. Both of these things are very, very important to the redemption that comes in Christ. We can't, yes, Jesus had victory, but we can't forget how he won that victory. And so next time we're singing, Jesus, you fight my battles, you fight my battles. Remember how he fought. He fought by laying his life down. We love to compare David to Jesus, right? David slayed Goliath. Yes, I'm David. I'm going to slay my Goliath, right? But Jesus comes along and he shows us a better way. He doesn't kill Goliath. He lays himself down, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, my point is, Jesus' wisdom, the wisdom of God, it's so different, and it's foolishness often when we import the wisdom of our, the world to the gospel. See, with our wisdom, we choose disunity and arguing, hate and violence. When the wisdom of God makes it clear that it, we're supposed to be self-sacrificial just as Jesus was. In our wisdom, we want God to act like we think he should, right? The second section, foolishness of the wise, the believers. This is, this, pas this part of the passage to me is like kind of at first maybe a little depressing, but then really encouraging at the same time, and you'll see what I mean. But it says in verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the deepest things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are 
so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are, Christ, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. See, here we see one of the most radical characteristics of the early church and one that I love, and it's the diversity. This is a very diverse community of believers, not only ethnically as we see like in Galatians, we just went through Galatians, right? But also um, they're very diverse in uh, socioeconomically, right? And so we see here that Paul is talking about the Corinthian believers, and he says, most of you, so there were some uh, more wealthy, more higher status, higher class believers in the early church, and, and most scholars today uh, think that it was a little more diverse than we used to think, but it's clear um, from what Paul says here that at least the majority was impoverished. We're talking about slaves, former slaves, uh, laborers, people who in this time were the lowest of the low, right? There was virtually no middle class in the ancient world. And the lower class, in many ways, was looked down on. See, this is foolishness to the wise, much like the cross. Why would God choose the lowly? Why would God choose the weak? Why would God choose the poor? Well, much of it is connected to, again, Isaiah prophesying that the Messiah would bring the good news to the poor. And that was Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm here to bring the good news to the poor. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit in Matthew's version, right? God chose the weak, the lowly, and it shames the wise and the strong. I think if we could kind of step back and see a bigger picture, we can see that the strong and the wise by human standards have not really worked, right? If anything is clear from human history, I think it's that right now in the moment that we're in with unrest, people storming the Capitol, pandemic, um, polarization that is unbelievable, all of the different things that we see in the world, I think if there's anything that is clear is that this is not new. Like, <laughs> There's been natural disaster. There's been sickness and death and pandemic. There's been disagreements, uh, violent ones for all of history. We're not good at this. <laughs> the, the, the Enlightenment said we could bring utopia. And then the Holocaust happened, right? Like World War I and II shatters that idea. Like we're not good at this. But God chose the lowly to shame the wise and the strong. He chose many of those in society who had been cast aside to show how fallen humanity had failed. See, Christ's kingdom, God's kingdom came in such a different way. Instead of overthrowing the Romans by force, he died at their hands with submission. Instead of favoring the strong and the wise, God embraces the weak and the lowly, the cast aside. Now, how encouraging, how encouraging for those of us who know our own weakness and our own need. 
How encouraging, really to all of us, but especially to those of us who've come, come from such darkness, such pain, such depression and anxiety, such um, hurt, broken relationships, abuse. God chose us. Wow. How encouraging is that? How encouraging. But no matter what our brokenness is, Jesus embraces us, and that's so powerful. Yet oftentimes, we want to turn around and flip this beautiful image of the gospel. We want to flip it. You know, we want to be leaders who seek influence for our own prestige, our own, our own selfishness. Many seek prosperity. I'm, I'm there. Like, I want to be able to buy whatever I want. That would be great. I kind of sometimes am guilty of dreaming of winning the lottery because I'm like, what would I do? Oh, my gosh. I would get so many degrees, you know? And like, <laughs> I, I, I dream about winning the lottery, and then I realize, oh, man, what do I is that what I really want? Is my ultimate dream to be wealthy? I think I'm mixing up my priorities, right? Like I'm convicted by this. I, I, I'm being, just being honest. You know, others seek status. This is a big thing in high school. My high school students, you know, you, you need the nicest clothes, the nicest sneakers, the best houses or the best education. Now, these things, most of these things, all of these things can be very good, and I'm not disparaging them. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to say, you know, um, we should be uh, monks out in the desert, right, starving ourselves. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. But the reality is that we have to see when human wisdom the desire for these kinds of things get in the way and we, that we, we, we measure value and we decide what is important based on these things when the reality is that God chose the lowly, the poor, the weak. He flips human wisdom on its head again. See, in our pride, and that's, that's the big thing, is in our pride, we choose God because we want him to make us great. God, make me a great speaker, a great prophet, a great pastor, a great singer, a, a, a great businessman or woman, a, a great whatever. Make me wealthy. Make, you make me. God, I, I have faith. I have faith. Bless me. But the reality is that God chose us not because he wanted to make us greater, because we are great, but because, but, but because he's great. God chose us because he's great. How great is that? He is faithful. He is good. We can have pride and boast in that, not ourselves. Amen. Not our grabs for power, success, wealth, all of that, right? We boast in God. Verse 30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no let, uh, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, one thing we didn't talk about, and I think this is interesting, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, we see that wisdom is 
talked about in a different way. Wisdom is obviously a very slippery word. If we can talk about in one hand human wisdom as like this negative thing or a thing that can be very negative, and then on the other hand talk about the wisdom of God as this very good thing, right? Obviously the word wisdom is very slippery. And so it's the same way in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible. Sometimes wisdom is talked about as if it's knowing the right thing to do, right? In the, in the Proverbs, you know, in this situation do that, in that situation do this. And there's a balance between the two, Right? But wisdom is also talked about ultimately as the righteousness of God. When you can put on the righteousness of God, that's true wisdom. But then on the other hand, wisdom is talked about in places like Ecclesiastes as something that's almost unattainable. Wisdom, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That would say, you're right, Ecclesiastes. You know, so wisdom, it's talked about in different ways. But ultimately, I think that the, the, the central Part of wisdom is that it stems from wisdom as the righteousness of God. And this talks about Jesus as our righteousness. Jesus as our holiness. Jesus as our redemption. We are brought to salvation and restoration in Jesus and Jesus alone. And as we're brought into this salvation, we're brought into true wisdom. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. And we can be transformed into his likeness, putting on the self-sacrificial wisdom that's displayed on the cross. See, this is wisdom in covenant relationship. You don't have wisdom without covenant relationship. You don't have the Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or Job without God reaching down and making a way to have a covenant relationship with his people so he can say, hey, do this then and that then. Hey, put on my righteousness. That's true wisdom, right? You don't have it without the covenant relationship. We can, but we can be transformed in this relationship into Jesus' likeness. And how powerful is that? This is our third section, our third and final section. And it is the foolishness to the wise, Paul's preaching. Now, I don't know if I'd, <laughs> I'd self-deprecate like Paul uh, about my preaching. Because I wouldn't, you know, they say like fake it till you make it, right? So don't, don't, if you're bad at preaching, don't say it. Right? But he's not saying he's bad at preaching. But here, let's just read, okay? It says in chapter 2, verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So first thing off the bat, and we have to understand this. Again, this is one of those moments where we have to step back and view this in a larger context. Paul uses rhetoric, okay? Like, in fact, saying he doesn't use rhetoric is rhetoric, right? Like that's a moment where he's using rhetoric. He's using argumentation. He's using words and trying to persuade, right? So is Paul saying, um, don't use your brain? No, 
No, he's not saying that. That would be, our, in, in, the, in the assemblies of God, I think we have a propensity to, to move that way and say, yeah, yeah, it's, we're talking about the power of the Spirit here. Turn the brain off, right? But that's not what Paul is saying at all. That's not what he's saying at all. Uh, is he saying, you know, don't sculpt sound thoughts and arguments? No. Is he saying don't be persuasive? No, not at all. Um, his point is that wisdom and the wisdom of his message specifically did not come from his human abilities. The wisdom of Paul's message did not originate in his words or his rhetoric or his, his eloquent um, speech. The wisdom of Paul's message originates in the power of God. It originates in Jesus who has become wisdom. Jesus who shows us true wisdom that makes our wisdom foolishness on the cross. True wisdom comes from God. Now let me just say something briefly about God's power. Sandra, if you don't mind coming. Again, this is a moment where I think we need to recognize our own context and, and recognize our own tendency to really emphasize the power of God. And, and, and rightly so, like the power of God is important. The spirit at work in his people is important. It's a, a part of being in this new age as we've talked about. But what's important here is that Paul comes in weakness, great fear and trembling. He comes humbly as Jesus came. God's power is not, it doesn't serve Paul's own desires and purposes. The Spirit doesn't work to serve you, right? We, we act as if the purpose of church is to come and get, like, charged up on the Spirit juice, right? I'm just making that term up. I like that. But Spirit juice. And then we go about and do our business in the world, and that's kind of wrong-headed because we make church and God out to be this product that we can choose to buy or not buy. You know, I go to that church because they do that song that I like and that style of worship that I like. And they, you know, they don't turn it too loud or they, do, they, don't, they don't turn it too quiet. Or they, and and we, we become consumers shopping in the world of church, shopping in the world of God. And we say, God... You know, I want to be filled up with some spirit juice right now, but I'm going to go about and do my business later in the world. God, I want to have this emotional experience now because, you know, that's what I like, but, you know, I'm not going to do anything with that you know, or, or whatever. And we're missing the point. Paul comes with humility to say the power of God, the wisdom of God is visible in Jesus. And his message of Christ's death and resurrection is the wisdom that is worth the Corinthians' allegiance. And it's worth your allegiance and my allegiance. This is a wisdom that is worth mimicking. A wisdom that is worth putting on. And so as we're brought into righteousness, holiness, and, and restoration, as we're brought into salvation, we're brought into true wisdom. I pray, may we be transformed into Christ's likeness. As I chose this, I, this passage and this topic, I certainly had in mind our current state. Um, on Wednesday, it was a hard time for me and a lot of us. 
But there are so many competing ideas, competing theories and different things out there that are grabbing for your attention. They're grabbing for your allegiance. And they're saying, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. You gotta fight. You gotta get what's yours. You gotta get wealth. You gotta get prestige. You have to have influence. You wanna be a leader, don't you? And all of these things are shouting. And in the midst of this, I can hear Paul saying, choose genuine wisdom. That's, that's not, God made that foolishness. He turned that stuff on its head. So don't go in violence and hatred to your brothers and sisters and call it wisdom. Don't go in, in hatred and anger to people and, and call it wisdom because Jesus shows us it's not. It's not. You might feel justified. You might feel right. But hey, we're just kids making a mess. I'm, I'm just a kid making a mess. I'm, I'm for real. I'm not trying to be disingenuous. I'm being honest. We're here in this mess. And wisdom is tough because we don't make the right decisions all the time, as, however good we might be. But God shows us a better way. Jesus shows us genuine wisdom as he lives and he goes to the cross on our behalf. He brings us into this genuine wisdom and we can be transformed into his likeness. How incredible is that? So, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't get super, super practical because the truth is, you can say this and understand this, but as we've seen, wisdom is more than just religious understanding. The gospel is more than just religious understanding. It's an, it's an event in history in which God broke into the brokenness of this world. He broke through and he brought us out of the wisdom of this world. He flipped it on its head and he brought us into salvation, to restoration, to new life a new age. You don't just know that and have that and then walk out of these doors and go be unwise, right? Like, we're, okay, we're not perfect. We're gonna make mistakes, but God help us to move towards and, and walk with Jesus in the spirit in genuine wisdom. And what's so powerful to me when I understand this and when I think about this is I really believe this is, set up as a partnership. To be in Christ is to be with Christ and with the Spirit walking with us every day, right? Like it's not meant to be like a one and done thing on Sundays. It's meant to be a community of believers with a like mind focused on Christ and the Spirit walking with them every day. How, how amazing is that? So Lord Jesus, help us, God. Help us to accept genuine wisdom. Help us to see the truth. And Lord, I pray you will remind us that you're walking with us, that you've brought us into this new age, this salvation. You brought us into righteousness, holiness, and restoration. And you are genuine wisdom. And we can be like you. Help us, God. In Jesus' name.